This week, uh, we will continue on in 2 Corinthians, discussing giving. I know. Bum, bum, bum. Giving it two weeks. I gave it two weeks in July. We are going to give you in the coming uh, Sundays or weeks, we'll talk about our finances as a church. Uh, it's always funny, and I'm super sensitive to this, like that you think that I'm preaching on money, and then you'll hear us say, hey, we'd love more of your money, as if those two things come together. Uh, they exist in independent universes, but they're still both true. So, um, so you'll get updates from us about, hey, here's where we are as a church, here's where we've been year to date, all those kinds of things. We need to be better about just communicating those with you. We haven't done it well, um, and we want to do that well for you and as a part of a church family and so that you can know. Uh, so when you get updates, you don't need to be thinking, oh, wait, hold on, did Hans preach on that so that we'd feel bad? Uh, no. If you feel bad, it's from the Lord. <laughs> it's not from me. So just kidding. So, you know, I, I try to plan half a year to a year in advance. So where things sync up, I'm not projecting the budget in October and going, what should we be preaching on in October to align with that? So I don't... It's just, I picked these passages in July because I think they're important parts of walking with the Lord, and so we'll, we're here, and when you get updates, it's just important that we also update our church family about church business, and money is a part of church business. So we'll, both of those things will happen, but please don't think there's some kind of uh, deceitful attempt or manipulative attempt to communicate about giving so that we feel like you feel burdened to give more. Remember, that's from the Lord. Um, no, we'll be in 2 Corinthians 9. 8 and 9 are talking about a collection. And in chapter 8, we get a primary motivation. You give generously because the Lord has given generously of himself. And so that should be enough reason. should be enough reason for you to always be generous because Jesus was rich and he became poor so that you could become rich. And so when it comes to meeting the needs of the saints around you or other churches or even the needs of one another, you should give out of what you are able and uh, sacrificially and generously and gladly because the Lord has done that for you. And so you should never need a reason other than that. In chapter 9, he gives more reasons just in case. Um, and it communicates in that really in the same vein how this is going to work itself out. How we can, as a church family, give generously and what happens because of it. So he moves into chapter 9, talking more about the collection for the Jerusalem saints. If you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, even in the book of Romans, they refer to this collection, this offering taken up to meet the needs of other churches. And so we'll see some of that again. But here in chapter 9, we're going to get more, um, more information on why to give. And we're putting these together because uh, this is an underdeveloped, often, part of our life as believers, we don't, we don't have kind of a disciplined, prioritized way of being generous. And so it does get two weeks. It gets two weeks because it's hard for us to do this. We're Americans and we want things for ourselves. And we want to have stuff for ourselves. And we like to have cool things and show off cool things. And we are underdeveloped givers. We're underdeveloped in prioritizing giving. We're underdeveloped in thinking about it and meeting needs and being glad to meet needs. Uh, we're just cynical about churches who ask, about, ask for things and talk about money. So we're trying to go, what do the words say and how should that affect what we do? So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, uh, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So there you go. He says this, Now it is superfluous 
unnecessary for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, right? That's the collection for the Jerusalem church. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, right? Those are churches in Macedonia. So in chapter 8, he's boasting about uh, the Macedonians to the Corinthians, and in chapter 9, he's like, and I also told the Macedonians that you're really generous. So he's using them to talk to one another about, like, both of you are generous. I've told them. Saying that Achaia, which is where they are, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. You see how it's affecting even somebody else, the, the uh, infectious nature of their generosity. But I'm sending the brothers, sending some along, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. So I'm sending people to get what you said you'd give, so that you'd be ready. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me to Corinth and find that you're not ready, as in you haven't actually contributed as you said you would, we would be humiliated, you've already said you were doing this, to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times you may abound in every good work for as it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Just talk about the generosity again of our God. He does these things. He who supplies seed to the sower, that's the Lord, and bread for food, the Lord, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God, which is a cool line. We'll explain that a little later. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, um, I'm sorry, while they long for you and pray for you, and then my verse is cut off. Um, while they long for you and pray for you because of this passing grace of God, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, there is nothing we ever need more than to hear from you. As we go to your word and we read 2 Corinthians 9 and we seek to understand what is going on here, we would pray that you be glorified through us as your church, that your spirit would move in our midst and stir us up and recognize more of your heart for us. As we read about generosity and the way the churches provide for the needs of one another and the way that you are in the middle of it all. So open us and challenge us and grow us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we kind of began, I don't usually hear, could be wrong, but I don't usually hear people who are a part of churches say this, I love when my church talks about money. I love it. I never want it to stop. 
They could talk about money every week and I would be happy. Never hear that. I've never heard anyone say they love it when churches talk about money. It's just great. Which is a bummer because I love talking about money. I love it. I love talking about generosity. I love talking about helping people give. I love talking about budgeting. I love talking about prioritizing giving. It's one of my favorite subjects because we're so bad at it. And so you can make any kind of effort and like, look at that, it's awesome, right? So, you know, it, I, I love talking about it because it's just a part of how the Lord has the church operate and his mission go. So I love it. But I also get why people are concerned about talking about money, right? Abuses and misuses of money abound. I'm not talking about, well, I don't think you should spend $5 on that or $20 on that or something like that. Like that's, you know, it's, it's, it's when people go, they steal. They take from the church. They rob the Lord. They, they're, they're incredibly bad and inconsiderate in their stewardship. Some people have extorted like seven-figure sums from church or removed, you know, stolen uh, and just kind of siphoned off. So much money. They raise money for things in the name of Jesus like jets or cars or wardrobes or whatever it might be. And people do look at that and go, Ugh, seems like there's something missing here. And I think if you consider globally, I don't just consider in your little world of spring, but if you consider globally, uh, the prosperity gospel, you know, give more, get more, just keep increasing, give to me, God will give to you, that idea that uh, God's just going to keep supplying your needs if you have enough faith, and if you sow seeds, you're going to get back more so than you did, you know, give a hundred, get a thousand back, right, like it's just God's some genie in a bottle with our giving, that's global, and so the impression that many people have of pastors and churches and leadership is all you, all you want is more money, and it does, it makes us cynical, and it builds into a cynicism about churches and needs, pastors and what they ask. So in response to this, and I think this is the wrong response, I think you might agree this is the wrong response, churches go, we'll just never talk about it. We'll never mention it. Which doesn't line up with the New Testament evidence of how things are talked about. So, so, we, so instead of going, well, we don't want to be that, so we're going to be this, well, that's not accurate either. Because... That just says, we're just, gonna, we're just never going to say anything, and we're just going to assume the Lord's just always going to meet whatever needs we have. I'm like, well, no, you can talk about it. Explain it. Our giving is a part of our discipleship. It's a part of our growth. It reflects our maturity and our understanding of Jesus, so we have to talk about it. But we don't talk about it so that we might gain. So both of those responses aren't really in keeping with what we read in the Scriptures. And if you're reading with us in our reading plan, then you know that there are regular talks about support, money, fundraising, renewing ideas. And when you read 2 Corinthians 9, you might not know it's talking about money, but it is. This whole endeavor that we're in, remember uh, about a month or so ago, the longer, making disciples of all nations, this costs something. It requires us to be generous with our time and with our energies, with our money and with our houses. It requires us to be considerate in how we uh, spend and use what the Lord has given to us and support what goes on around the world. So we need a good way of talking about money that's in keeping with the scriptures and how the scriptures speak about it. And last week we got into chapter 8 and the motivation for giving to look at the work of Jesus and that that should really open and shut. Look at what Jesus did. That should be sufficient. He continues in chapter 9 with talking about kind of the multiplying effect of our generosity. So we're going to look at a few things. 
uh, once we kind of set up the context of the passage, the first five verses, we're going to look at just some principles for being generous givers and then some results of our generosity. So we're going to start with the context, the first five verses, then we get into the next kind of paragraph or move, and we're going to talk about principles of generosity that are stated by Paul that we see there. And then what are some results of a generosity that honors the Lord, which that's kind of one of my favorite parts. What happens because we do that? What's the effect of that in the lives of others? And we start with this context of the first five verses where Paul essentially says this, you need to finish what you started or keep your promise. Keep your promise. The Corinthians knew the Jerusalem church had a need. And sometime in the past 12 months, a year ago, you know, in the past time, and knowing that need, they committed to give and support that. But they hadn't followed through. We talked about that last week. So Paul's like, so now finish the thing you started. In chapter 9, he continues on with this idea and essentially tells them, I'm going to send people your way so that what you have committed is already ready so that when I show up, it's not odd or awkward. And things can get awkward. We had our elder retreat this past, uh, this weekend. We were talking about just giving, generosity, whatever else, and, um, and how you try and, and do things. So if you bring in you know, a speaker or whatever and you have an honorarium, sometimes that's a part of like, you know, speaking is how that might work. And uh, an odd thing is to have that never show up, right? You're like, okay, you're kind of committed to something and, and when it doesn't show up, you're like, oh. You know, when you talk about it, it becomes embarrassing, doesn't it? Well, you said this, you know, what do, we, what do we need to do about that? So Paul's trying to avoid the awkwardness of <clears throat> them keeping their commitment. So he's like, I'm sending these guys ready to you so that you will see, <clears throat> so that you can get what is ready in order, so that when I get there, it's not weird for me or for you. That it's not embarrassing. What I think is a pretty wise move. Like, let's just go ahead and get it ready on the front end so that it's not weird on the back end. <clears throat> and look at what he says. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm good now. Now, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, the giving there. I know your readiness. I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. I tell them about this gift, right? I mean, just imagine, like, if somebody gives to you something or they support the need or the Lord provides for Genesis in some way, you talk about it, don't you? Or if somebody says, man, I want to commit X, you talk about it. You talk about what the Lord's doing and how glad you are. When the commitment's made, you go, man, look at what God did, so-and-so committed. They, they said, hey, I'll close the gap. I'll take care of that. And so he's like, I already know you want to do it. I've already boasted about it because it's just awesome to see you be generous. But what they had said was essentially given a verbal agreement to we're going we're gonna to help. And he's going, I know your readiness because I've, I've told everybody about it, saying that you've been ready since last year. And them hearing that they've been stirred up to do the same because generosity is kind of infectious. This is why, I know left hand, right hand, we don't want to get credit for our giving, right? We don't want to come up and like bring like a bunch of quarters or silver dollars and just pour it into a, you know, a big thing, oh, ting, 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 like all that stuff or whatever. We don't want, if you know, we had passed a plate or something, be like, you know, we drop something in, everybody can see it, right? We don't want any of those things. But talking about the commitments that we make and the ways that we try to give and the support that we try to give stirs up other people. It stirs them up. When we say, this is what I try to do and this is where I'm going and this is how I give, this is how I discipline it. <clears throat> so I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit here with you guys and go, oh, here are all the ways that, here's how much or here's how this. 
<clears throat> but when you talk to people about giving and goals and giving and the way that, it, that <clears throat> they have committed and the Lord has changed them, what you start to see is that other people are stirred up. <clears throat> and I know of a man, a man I admire a lot, and he said, the Lord has been just so generous with us. And we started at whatever, 10%. I'm making up a number. And then, after that, you know, he's just continued to provide for our needs. Now we're at 15 or 20. And he just keeps talking about, like, just this ascending growth or this ascending ability to give and contribute. And when I hear that, I don't go, oh, you're just bragging. You're just being braggy and boasting about how great you are and whatever. I just go, you're sharing your heart for God. You're sharing about what God's done in you and what God's done through you, and you are so grateful for that, and that's awesome. So he's doing that with the saints. They're being stirred up because they're hearing about you, but go ahead, verse 3, I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty. Go ahead and close the gap. You said you would do it. Otherwise, if some of these people from Macedonia come with me and find out you're not ready, you haven't done it, whoops, we would be humiliated. It's like, think about this, you ever talked about like your friend's house and oh man, when you go over to so-and-so's house, it is just awesome. They have this, they have that, they have that, they have that. It's just the coolest. And you talk it up because it's, that's been your expectation. And you get there and you're like, hmm, this is, not, <laughs> this is not what I thought it would be. This is not how I thought it was gonna go. This is, not, this is not what we had agreed on it being like. And so he's just trying to go, let's meet the expectation that you had set. You said you would do this, and so I want you to know that when we get there, it would be embarrassing, humiliating for us to get there and not see anything, and you, I know you would be embarrassed. Johnny's bringing me water. I knew he was when I saw him get up. From time to time, yeah, I don't know what it is about living in the South that makes me clear my throat a lot. I hate it. I take medicine for it at times. I try and figure out, it's like, is it my diet? So I don't usually eat on Sundays, so I don't have this big coughing fit. Not uh, on Sunday. I eat on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> but I just try to find ways to make it less annoying for you, and I'm sorry that sometimes it still happens. So if you know the secret, let me know, and I would be glad to figure it out, because I have not figured it out yet, and I've been working on this for years. It's like the preacher's thorn in their side, and I'm like... <coughs> <laughs> so... He essentially is holding them accountable, which is okay. He's saying to them, you said you would give. We're going to do whatever we can to make it not awkward. So we're going to send people there, and let's just go ahead and provide for it, set it up, do what we need so that we're good, so that when we get there, all we're doing is being glad about what you said you would do and not having that awkward conversation of, you said you'd do this. And so he's just, he's, he's saying, I've told the Macedonians about your giving, I'm telling you about theirs, because it stirs up generosity in one another. So verse 5, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead and arrange in advance what you have promised, what you've said, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. This is something I think is good for us to remember uh, just in general, is that if you have committed money to someone or to something or to some organization or whatever, if you said, yeah, then finish it, right? Like, finish it out. Churches or nonprofits or whatever, they often are kind of counting on the fact that you said you would do what you do. And Paul's doing the same thing here. Like, we, you know, the Jerusalem church needs it. You said you'd give it, so go ahead and give it. <clears throat> so he's trying to help them there. Are there times when a life, a life situation changes 
and you just go, man, I can't, I'm so sorry. Something has happened and we can't do what we said we were going to do or we had anticipated a bonus or we had anticipated this and it just did not, the thing didn't come to fruition. Sure. You wouldn't be like, hey, hold on, you still said it and I know you're unemployed now, but you better still give it. Like that's not, it's not gracious and understanding. So what he is saying is you, you give what you have committed. And from Paul's understanding, you're still able to give it. So I'm not sure what happened that made them kind of delay it other than the fact that life happens and we go, oh man, I said I was going to do that, didn't I? I said I was going to do that. I said I was going to, to provide for that or we had talked to the family about giving to that and we never did it. And so, yeah, we better do it. So in this context of just keep, keep your promise, keep your word, I think that's even important for us today to go... Yeah, we've said it. Uh, I was just talking even with a buddy right before the, the sermon and go like, if you look at my budget categories for the Guger family, we even identify it like giving is the top categories. And we've had things that we've contributed to and amounts that we, that, that we contribute to those things. And they're in. Um, that's, that's what we do. And so when we go to our budget, if something gets cut, it's not that. Because... For us, it's a non-negotiable. It's like, we don't, we, we don't not follow through on the thing that we said that we would do. There was a time as a college student where I pledged money to like a building fund at my church. I graduated a semester early or something like that, and I was an RA. I had no real big source of income at LSU. Um, and James, just the LSU reference I just made, it was minor. I just want you to know that. Uh, when they play... They play Bama on Saturday. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So I was working at LSU, and I got the, um, I had this little stipend I'd give, and I was contributing off of that. But when you graduate or you're done, and you don't really have the income to do it, I went to a guy at my church who was in charge of the finances. I said, what do you think here? Like, I don't really know how to finish this out because I really am unable. <laughs> I've moved. I'm done. I, I, you know, the, the commitment was for X amount of years, but I don't live here anymore. Um, and so he was like, Hans, I really think you're fine. Like, but I, I, I was walking through going, I said I would do this, and I, I, I don't know where I am now, and I don't know what's going on in life, and we're moving, and he's like, you're good. But the principle, the idea of you keep your word, you keep your commitment, and you make it a priority. Now we're going to get into that as we see in chapter 9, in 6 to the end, where we get both principles for God-honoring generosity and results of God-honoring generosity. We start with this idea, you reap what you sow. That's what Paul says, you reap what you sow. This happens in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Think of a farmer. Think of a farmer. If you, if you sow a lot of seed, you will have a greater harvest than if you don't. He's just using a kind of agricultural illustration to go, if you are generous in your sowing, there will likely be a greater return on the results of that. If you give generously, more things happen in the world, of, you know, like in God's economy or in God's kingdom. If you're able to contribute to needs generously, things will happen. Now, sometimes we misread this, or prosperity preachers might misread this and go, if you give generously, God's going to give you more. 
But in this passage, it actually says if you give generously, God will provide for your needs so that you can give more. Like that's, that, that's how it actually goes. God's going to give you more so that you can continue giving more because you seem to have a track record of liking to give. And so it's not a I give so that I get. It's I give so that I can give more. That's really what you see happening here in this passage. You give so you can give more. You don't hold back and you don't give so you get more. Um, even if God increases in some way, it's like, yes, more to give, more to give. So you reap what you sow is what he says there, which is you, 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 are, you receive back what you give. So if you're stingy, yeah, probably no fun to be around. If you're generous, it's awesome. Who doesn't like hanging out with generous people? It's not just about their dollars, it's just about their life. Oh yeah, use that, have that, do that, go with that, have it, whatever you need. So if you have a disciplined generosity where you recognize that as you give and contribute and support, then you, all, you also get to see the result of all of that giving and contribution and support. And in a sense, think about these Corinthians and the needs of the Jerusalem saints. I mean, it's kind of setting this thing up with like, don't you want to be a part of meeting that? Don't you want to be a part of helping that out? You know, again, we'll get to results here in a moment, but you reap what you sow is that first principle. The second shows up in verse 7. You give joyfully and within your means. I'm going to talk about means here in a moment. Each one must give as he or she or the family has decided in his or her or their heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this idea to give joyfully and within your means... You can see in verse 7 his highlight of premeditated giving. That you don't go when you budget, well, we're going to pay for all our bills, and then if there's some left over, we'll throw it in the offering plate, which is how I use offering plate. We don't have plates, we have boxes, but you know what I mean. It's, you know, it's a metonymy or whatever you call it. So give joyfully and within your means, it's hard to give joyfully when you're not really considering what or how or when to give. When you're just eking by and it's the last thing on your mind, it's always begrudgingly. Because you're like, man, I really need this. Whereas if you decide in your heart we're contributing in this way, we're committing to give in this way, and you make that the priority in your budget categories, well, now you get to live out as you have decided because you're not really deciding if you get to the end of, the, end of it and then go, I guess we'll just do this because we can. So give as you have decided and he says why? Because if you don't decide then you're giving reluctantly or you feel like you have to give and that's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling. Oh man, I better give. And then he gives the reason why. God loves a cheerful or a joyful giver that if we think about it, plan it, and give it, it's just, we're just glad. It's awesome to be able to do. So you give joyfully, and within your means, that means you don't rack up credit card debt to give. That would be ridiculous. Why would you do that? Well, you know, pastor said we're really going to be blessed if we just keep giving, and so we have to go into debt to give because that seems to be the best thing to do. No. Then you don't, you don't, you don't go into debt to give. Because now you're not even within your means, right? Like the wheels of means have fallen off. It's just you trying to figure out life and going, well, I just guess I feel like we have to. 
So decide in your heart, and I'm just going to give you some ideas. At Genesis, there is no view of you must give X. There is no view of you must give X. So when I talk to you about numbers or ideas or percentages, they're just illustrative. Okay? They're just illustrative because they kind of help us. Again, I was talking to my friend. I go, if you want to lose weight, somebody wants to lose weight, you go, how much? Uh, just, just wait. And you go, what's your plan? Don't really have one. Then you go, good luck. Right? Like, um, because it won't happen. And you know it won't happen. I want to be more generous. How? How are you going to be more generous? I don't know. I'm just going to pray about it. Not going to work. Right? Like, it's not going to work if you just pray about being more generous. Because if you've already decided to be more generous, and this is kind of a Googler family rule, more generous is better than less generous. Just in general. That's kind of a dominant way of thinking. More generous is better than less generous. You can write that one down. It's real deep. And so deciding your heart is kind of like, well, how could we give more? That's where for us, percentages, for, the, for our family, a percentage helps. We go, well, what are we giving right now? What are we giving right now? I don't even know. I haven't done the math on it. We're kind of still at the spot where we can't just kind of go, well, let's just give whatever, whenever, because we're good. Uh, I do have, I know of people who are like, I don't even keep a budget anymore because I have so much money. I'm like, that would be nice. Uh, like, I, I don't have that problem. <laughs> uh, And so I think it would be beneficial to anybody in this room when you're thinking of giving just to, just to ask yourself this question. Go to your taxes, go to your giving statements, go to whatever and go, what did we give last year? What did we give last year? And just kind of go, does, does that represent based upon what we've had? Does that represent generosity? You know, like, like, like does, that, is that, does that reflect what the Lord has provided to us and our ability to contribute to need? Does that, has that done that? I think that's helpful. It's helpful to just look and go, have we... Have we reflected being generous? Has our personal budget reflected these things? And so, if the answer is yes, awesome, keep at it. If you go, you know what, when you do the math, we're like at 2%. Well, great. This is what I would say, get it to three. Try three. And if you go, that's too easy, I go, great, try 100. I don't know, right? Like, like, but, but if you are totally unaware of how it's going to work, then it's going to be hard to give as you've decided in your heart because you're clueless. You're clueless. And so you can't be clueless about it. You have to go, this is it. This is why when you look in the Old Testament, even though the Old Testament, they talk about the tithe, they really had like multiple tithes, so people were giving in certain years a lot of money, uh, more than 10%. It blew the, the doors off of 10%. I think one study, I can't remember the numbers, like 23%, I think is what it was. If you, if you count it, it's actually like 23% of their income went toward depending on which offerings were taken in which years. But the habit or the dominant position that you see in the Old Testament in regard to offering, giving, sacrifice is what? First. First and best. And so you give off of what you have been given first because you trust the Lord is going to provide with what is left. You don't burn through what you have and then go, okay, well, what we have left we'll give. And that principle, I think, remains right? As you have decided, as you are able, as you see what you have, and we, we have a job, or many of us have jobs, where what we make and what we do and our income is pretty consistent. That's not the case for everybody, but many people can kind of pretty consistently go, twice a month it's X. It becomes then pretty easy to decide. <laughs> it really does. If it's variable or whatever that might be, then you have to make some different decisions, and there are people at our church who would love to help you talk about 
talk through how to do that. If you have any questions about who you could talk to in those situations, let me know and I'll point you to the right people. Um, but there are people who go, if, it, if your income fluctuates, it becomes much more difficult, right? Especially like if you're only paid, right, like in uh, commissions and it depends on how you do and it moves, well, projecting a monthly becomes harder, doesn't it? Or, you know, you just kind of go, it's going to be X. Uh, that's hard. But again, as you have decided and within your means, because when you do those things, it can become joyful. How do we, how do we grow in our generosity? How do we grow and increase in these things? And predetermining is important. Now, as he continues in verses 8 and 9, another principle, that third principle is this. Trust God's provision for you in everything. That really, even our generosity is a trust or a faith move that God provides what we need. Because giving costs. I can give you the exact amount it costs if you just kind of ran through your budget. It costs a certain amount. And you often might think, man, what could, I what could I buy or what could I have or what need could I meet or what could I do if I just had the money that I was contributing? So in 8 and 9, he follows that idea. You reap what you sow, so you want to be generous but you, and you want to be kind of predetermined, deciding in your heart so that it's not this compulsion or exaction where somebody sits down like, well, you really need to do more. And you're like, fine, open it up. And you're like, okay, I think God really wants you to give more than that. You don't want that. So he says, trust God's provision for you in everything. Read verses 8 and 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Everything can, can abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. So go ahead and trust that God's going to give you what you need. The principle, you reap what you sow, right? That who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. God will provide everything that is needed for you so that you can abound in every good work. Not so that you can have way more things. But the provision of the Lord on behalf of the giver is so that that person can continue to grow in their ability to minister freely and joyfully and gladly and meet needs. And so, so that you may abound in every good work. Well, look, God distributes freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures. Like, like, look at what happens when you have confidence in God. God's the meter of needs. He's the provider. So our generosity is an act of faith in his provision. And it's in a very real way, it forces us to trust him and not ourselves. It forces us to trust his provision and not our bank accounts. Because we're saying, Lord, this is yours. You can meet the needs that we have. You can provide for what we have. You can cover it. And so he walks through these ideas. You reap what you sow. You give joyfully within your means. You trust in God's provision for you in all things. All of that is a part of what happens when we step into God-honoring generosity. But there are also some results. And that's, that's where it gets pretty cool. 10 through 15, we see these results. Verse 10. And that first result is you give more greatly. The first result is you're actually able to increase what you can give. Not increase what you have, not buy a new car, do whatever, so that you actually increase what you're able to give. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So he says, as you give and you give generously, he who provides that is going to be able to give you more so that you can continue to give more. So you can continue to contribute more, continue to contribute more. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. 
enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. So a result is, your needs are met to continue to give generously. And that's that family I talked about that just keeps, that seems to keep raising the abil- their ability to be generous. It's just like, we just keep going. We just keep going. We keep doing it. We keep giving. We keep supporting. Like, uh, the Guger family, and I could tell story upon story, exists because of people like that. Exists because people are generous. Um, and honestly, I mean, mine and Matt's livelihood is, exists because of you guys. We do what we do because, you know, on the work that you do. So we're able to do what we do because of what you're able to supply for us. And the water that you bring from time to time. Thank you, Johnny. So God's going to enrich you so that you can be more generous. <clears throat> I think Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, says it this way. God might increase your standard of uh, your income, not to increase your standard of living, but your standard of giving. Just kind of those catchy phrases that you give. Like when you get a raise, you go, what can I do with it? Because you've committed to live below your means. So that increases now become about blessing. Contributing, serving. Um, so... The first principle, you can give more greatly. Now look at this, and this gets pretty cool to me. Uh, The second half of verse 11 into verse 12. Thanksgiving from others who receive it. That generosity results in people being glad. And that's good. So the back half of verse 11, he says this. You'll you'll be generous in every day, which will through us, because they're delivering it, Paul gets to contribute in blessing people with other people's money because it will produce thanksgiving to God. A result of generosity is that people are able to give thanks for things that they had not been able to give thanks for previously. They can thank God for things, which seems small, but it isn't. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's not just a transaction. It's not just a transaction. I give this, whatever. Like, it's overflowing. It's doing things that you couldn't have anticipated because now the Jerusalem church is worshiping the Lord that their needs have been met. You ever had that? You ever seen the Lord provide for you in a way that you had not anticipated and you just maybe start to laugh? Or you just tear up and you just go, I had no, oh man, I had no idea it was gonna happen this way. Look at God. Look at what he did. Well, that's what he's saying. In a sense, like if you don't do that, that doesn't get to happen. And that's awesome. So if you're not generous, then you're missing out on seeing people just like weep and worship and be glad because they're seeing their needs met in ways that they hadn't anticipated. Remember our principle last week, God uses others. Our generosity is the means to meet needs or it's often the needs of others to even meet our own needs. But when that happens, we just go, God is great. He's great. It overflows in thanksgiving to God. I think that's another reason we want to talk to you guys about finances as a church more because it should result in like, look at what God did. Look at what God did. Who would have thought God could have done that? Who knew God would have supplied that? I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't think about it. 
I couldn't have imagined that. And so Paul's kind of preemptively saying, when they get this and I get to deliver it, it's going to overflow in thanksgiving to God in ways that we had not even thought about. That's a result. Gratitude. Gratitude. So often we're like, oh, no, 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 it's going to create neediness. Not if done in the right heart, received in the right heart. It's not that at all. I don't think anybody at the Jerusalem church is like, oh, I can't wait to get more money so I don't have to work. Like, it's not that. They have a need. The Lord's providing for their needs through others. And when they receive it, they're glad. They're glad. And then, verses 13 and 14, another result that wouldn't have happened otherwise toward the end. Verse 14 in particular. So they're, they're overflowing because of the generosity for them and for the others. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. That not only is the generosity of the church producing gratitude in the recipients, but it's also producing prayers for the givers this is why, and if you support missionaries, like when they ask you things like, I know you're praying for us, but how could we pray for you? That's why it would benefit you to pray or share how they could be praying for you. Because for those who go overseas to proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard it, you're in it together. Right? You're in it together. And so it's not just this one way, we'll give, we'll give, we'll give, we'll give, we'll give, you know, and you just, you don't need to worry about us, we're fine, you tell us how we could care for you. But you look at 9.14, no, they want to pray for you. They long for you, they pray for you because of the way that you have been able to meet their needs, really the way God has been able to meet their needs through you. So you look at that and you go, well, it would be silly not to give. I mean, that's all these secondary reasons. It would be ridiculous for us not to give because look at what happens. You can give more. As you're able to give more, people are thankful for it. Who doesn't want to have people more thankful? And then as you do that, not only that, but they're praying for you. And you kind of just see it's like, it's like bouncing around, like all these other things that are happening because you go, Lord, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So we probably, just as believers today, we need to grow in all of these ways. Grow in generosity, but also grow in our gratitude. I could do better there. Every paycheck I should be praising God, but so should you. The Lord is providing for you. We should be glad. We shouldn't do this thing, and I know this happens in our culture, you know, I mean, it's just a whatever, kind of a tit for tat, but like, when we're generous with somebody and we buy them lunch, and they go, I got you next time. You go, no, 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 there's no next time. Like, like, and it be, kind of becomes this indebtedness. That's, that, that's not how this works. But they always feel this need to go, no, 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 I got next time. Go, that's not, you, you just have to say, receive. Some of you need to learn how to receive God's provision for you through others. Some of you need to learn how to be God's provision for others. Go, Lord, how could we do this better? How could we do this better? And maybe, maybe money is not the concern, though these often go hand in hand. Maybe you have a house that can host. And hosting a community group should be what you do. 
and bring people into your house and let them hear the word and provide for them food and drinks and whatever else you talk about in your community groups, you know, like, but like provide a place for people to come and be exposed to the word of God. And every time you pay a light bill and every time you pay your mortgage, you go, God, thank you so much that this place can be a place where you're lifted up. A house that can host missionaries who are home on furlough and you go, have whatever you need. Take whatever you need. It is no big deal. We could all grow in these areas because we get stingy. That's ours. That's mine. I don't want to do that. Those are all heart things, right? So at Genesis... I, I mean, I don't know another way to say it. I'll say it this way. I think we should be the most generous church in the world. And that, that it doesn't depend on size. It doesn't depend upon income. It doesn't depend upon anything but how we understand what God has done for us and how that changes how we live. Because when you see what God has done for you, you don't need a gigantic house just for yourself so you can show it off and have and say, look at what I have. And if the Lord has given you that, you can go, how can I use this? Because there's no like, well, your house is too expensive, or your house is too... Like, there, you, once you start doing that, what do you do? You're setting laws for yourself. But we also need to make decisions that increase our ability to be generous and to be disciplined in that approach. Why? Because we don't know what God will do, but we know he will move. And that's good because he receives the glory.